We're going to start the conversation today with Preeti Rathi, partner at Ignition Partners. Preeti, please welcome to the show. Thanks, Shamana. Happy to be here. So, Preeti, tell us a bit about yourself as well as uh, acquaint our uh, audience with Ignition Partners. Absolutely. Uh, so, Ignition is an early stage enterprise focus fund. We have a billion and a half under management and are currently investing out of our sixth fund. The sixth fund is a 200 million fund focused on, as I said, early stages. So seed and series A are our sweet spots. And from a check size perspective, we do anywhere from 500K to 8 million, depending on the size of the round. Mm-hmm. Um, at while we don't really have any strong ownership requirements at seed, at Series A, we like to lead or co-lead an investment. We won't really do a small minority check at Series A. And I think one of the big ways, I, you know, Ignition strongly differentiates from other <clears throat> funds is, I should say, you know, I still am getting over a cold and there's a frog in my throat, so I apologize for that. Um, <clears throat> We are the investors that will not just offer a check, but will tirelessly work along with the entrepreneurs. So when we put in a check, you don't just get the partner who made the investment, but the entire Ignition team who will put in the needed work and effort into helping the entrepreneurs build a company they envisioned. So um, let me double click down a bit on your uh, seed strategy in that what is considered seed-worthy in your um, shop? What, uh, what do you want to see in terms of validation or MRR if you're doing SaaS? What's, uh, what is the current thinking? So, you know what? Um, from a progress perspective, even if we are looking at a company at seed stages, we are one of those firms who will who would like to partner with startups when they have a product already ready and have some traction going as well. Um, So, you know, I mean, in today's world where you have uh, friends and family around, a seed, then you may have a second seed or pre-series A, whatever you want to call it, we are probably a good fit at the second seed stage. Or if you are at a seed stage but you've made – reasonable progress in terms of getting to customers, that's where we would be a good one. So, um, by the way, the terminology we have been using and somehow the industry kind of is starting to coagulate around is friends and family, pre-seed, seed, post-seed, pre-series A, series A, small series A, large series A. That's kind of the <laughs> continuum. Um, so let me yeah. uh, let me ask you what traction means. What uh, can you quantify that into MRR, for example? Yeah, you know what? I hesitate to sort of quantify it in precise numbers because it just depends on what markets the entrepreneurs are going after. If it's a brand new market where you know, I mean, if you are invest, if you are a seed investor, you are looking to invest in technologies that may become mainstream only a few years from now. You know, you have mm-hmm. early adopters to begin with, but it becomes mainstream where everyone's like, okay, that's a technology we cannot live without, or a product we cannot live without. It takes a few years, and so if it's one of those frontier tech, as they say it, 
So you cannot really expect a huge traction there versus if you are an entrepreneur who's building a product in a sector which is improving, you know, it's a well-known sector, well-known space, products have existed, you just have a brand new technology or a business model that makes it different. In that case, the uh, kind of traction we look for would be different. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, what about geography? What's uh, comfortable? So from a geography perspective, you know, we are really focused on companies right here in the U.S. I mean, given our working model of working hand-in-hand -hand with our portfolio companies, and, you know, we basically are one of those who will say we'll wear whatever hat our portfolio companies require us to wear. You need help with strategy, we'll go do that with you. You need help in hiring, we'll help you hire. And so it's really important that the companies not be too far off from a geography perspective, so we are primarily focused on the U.S. But U.S. is a big um, territory, all of right. U.S. or um well, ideally, ideally, look, we have company, I mean, so we are based, I should have mentioned this as well, right, initially, is we are uh, based out of Bay Area, San Francisco, and then Seattle. And so, um, Ideally for us, if we can get on a plane and get back here the same day, <clears throat> that would be ideal. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we won't invest in a company which is not a plane hop away from here. Mm -hmm. For example, one of our portfolio companies, Botkeeper, is based all the way in Boston. So, you know, that's the reason I said U.S. <clears throat> as a geography rather than just, hey, we will only invest on the West Coast or up to Midwest or so. Okay. Sounds good. And uh, what about types of businesses? You said enterprise focus. So are we talking about enterprise SaaS as your primary focus area? Right. So, um, yeah, when I say enterprise, it basically means B2B-focused uh, companies. And we will typically, we are open to looking at any, any company that is B2B-focused. While ideally, you know, I mean, something that we think is really taking off in a big way is intelligent B2B applications, and that is something uh, we are looking at actively. But we are always open to investing in any company that is B2B focused. You know, entrepreneurs come up with brilliant ideas, and they have thought about things very differently. So we always have an open mind in terms of saying, let's just hear what they have come up with. But, you know, from a stack perspective, you are right. We are focused more at the application layer at the moment. <clears throat> and, um, and B2B means you are also doing the business to small business, mid-sized business applications as well, yes? Absolutely, absolutely. SMBs, mid-size, large businesses, you know, it depends on what it, what problem is the startup trying to solve. You know, if the problem that they're solving focuses on small businesses, that is fine too. So, uh, Preeti, can you take us through a few examples of companies that uh, Ignition has invested in and why? Have you chosen to invest in those companies? What is it in those companies that are compelling? 
Sure. You know, some of our um, notable exits, let me start with that, and then I'll even talk about some investments we've made recently, and not too many people may have heard about it, but just to give you a sample of how we think about investments. So um, some of our investments include companies like Splunk, DocuSign, Cloudera, Heroku, Zensource, Docker. So those are some of our investments. And as you can see um, from the names, I mean, the way we think about it really is at a high level, we are really looking to invest in companies that have what it takes to be a standalone company. I mean, as I mentioned before, our mission really is to be an early stage partner that invests not only money and time, and we take a lead or co-lead uh, ownership. It really leads to an investment model of saying fewer concentrated investments because we do need the time. We want to be able to allocate time for our portfolio companies. And so these investments have to be where they can lead to large outcomes for us. So um, that's what I would sort of say from how we think about investments. In terms of some of our recent investments, iCertus is one of our investments. Um, Tractable is a company that we invested in, which is deep learning computer vision for auto damage estimation. And that really basically is saying it's an application focused on insurance space, but they're solving a problem using MLAI technology. If your car gets into an accident and you need, you know, the way it usually works is you have an estimator sent over or you take your car to a body shop. So instead of doing all that, you just take pictures and the software will offer you an estimate. So are you know, all the seed investments, are all the names that you uh, rattled off, are they all seed investments? So you know what, yeah, most of these, you know, we are seed investors in Splunk. We were seed investors in DocuSign. And most of these, yeah, I mean, not every one of them is a seed investment. Like I said, we, we partner Series A is a very good place for us to start with as well. And if it is something we are absolutely drooling over, we'll start our partnership with a company at Series B as well. But primarily, we are early stage investors where we say we want to spend time helping you build a company. So seed and Series A is where we focus. So this probably is going to be hard for you to answer, but I'm curious what, um, you know, what did your, the partner from Ignition who invested in DocuSign or Docker or, um, you know, one of those companies that have really taken off, what did they uh -huh. see in, at the seed stage to, to make that bet? Uh, so, you know what, I can answer this generally. Obviously, as you pointed out, it's some other partner who invested in these companies. But um, in general, at Ignition, we are looking for um, – so, you know what, there are actually different answers. I, I, I should just sort of, you know, there isn't one standard answer as such. So let me just say, if it's uh, – so large markets are always important. If you're looking for a large company, you need large markets. But if you're focused on, say, some kind of a vertical, you know, the vertical is as big as it is. So when we are, if you're looking at a company that is focused on some vertical, then we try to sort of understand what kind of domain expertise does the team have? Do they really understand what true pain points of the industry they are solving? What kind of a product 
Are they working on? Do they really understand the workflows? Do they understand what the buying patterns of the team are? What would they be resistant to? And so on. So um, I guess just basically trying to understand, is this a product that would get adopted on a massive level or on a mass scale? So, you know, the, the algorithm that we use when we talk to our entrepreneur community about what VCs are looking for, VCs are looking to build a company from, let's say, zero to $100 million in five to seven years. So velocity is a high uh, priority and, and market size, obviously, to do that, you need a large market. And this is the traditional venture model. Of course, there are other things emerging now which are focused on more niches, early exits and stuff that are more on the micro VC side and so forth. We have been, we are hashing all that out at the moment. We have a lot, we have, have a lot of conversations going on that topic, but, but Ignition is a traditional venture fund that, that has that criteria of having to go from zero to $100 million in five to seven years. And, and what you're pointing out on domain knowledge is actually very, uh, very much on our radar is that if you're trying to do something that is, you know, vertical or that has, that requires deep domain knowledge, that is a winning formula for a founder to be able to uh, convince an investor. So, yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just adding to your domain knowledge um, point, really, to say that, you know, in, you know, we have across the geographies, we have really smart people, really smart engineers building some really um, high-tech products. And so increasingly, where the companies have to look for winning the market really is what's, I mean, you know, I mean, you've really got to think about what secret sauce do you bring to the table that will help you win the largest market share or large market share, whichever way you think about it. Right. Now, um, talk to me a little bit about trends that you see in your deal flow. So if you look back on, let's say, the last 12 months or 18 months of deal flow, what are the highlights? Hmm, yeah. So you know what? When I think about that, one thing that I've seen is because of this winner-take-all phenomenon that we are observing, mm -hmm. And that's, we're seeing this in majority of the sectors. It used to be the case that that used to be a thing only on the consumer side. Increasingly, that's true even on the enterprise side. And because of that, too much money is chasing a few deals, you know, whereas a lot of deals end up starving. Um, that's one thing we've seen. Another one is seeds are just getting larger and larger where you have more dollars getting uh, poured into each seed deal. So even if you just talk about the total amount, to total number of dollars into deals, it, that remains high, but the total number of seed deals, just because of uh, the math, the total number of seed deals have gone down. I mean, just to give you some numbers, if you think about average amount of seed funding a startup had back in 2010, the average seed funding was uh, about a million and a half at most. Mm -hmm. Now, last year, if you look at what did the seed funding look like, the average was at 6.3 million. So it's like the classic Series A is now a seed and Series B is a Series A and so on. So that's another thing which has sort of become really big 
in the last couple of years. And one more interesting, I mean, you know, it's sort of expected, I guess, but one more interesting phenomenon has been that a lot of seeds, in fact, more than 50% of companies now at seed stages actually have revenue. And this is a very big change from back in, say, 2010, where less than 10% of seeds would actually have revenue. Mm-hmm. Well, this and is something that we've been promoting aggressively is bootstrap first, raise money later. So if you actually start your fundraising with adequate validation and even paying customers some revenues, that's that puts you in a much better negotiating position. But, but just to follow up on what you said about the seed rounds really bloating up because there are too many uh, VCs chasing the same deals and want to flush them already at the seed stage with capital and the seed rounds are bloating up to $6 million. What about ownership? I mean, if you give up, if you take $6 million in a seed round, what, what does that do to your ownership? Well, so let me just talk about us. When we, how do we think about uh, seed investments and seed ownership? For us particularly, when we invest in a seed company, we aren't really, as I mentioned earlier, we aren't really that strongly focused on how much do we own. It doesn't mean we would be okay with the 2% ownership, but at Series A, like I said, we like to lead or co-lead. So the ownership requirements are way stronger there. We would say, oh, we need 20% in ownership at Series A. But at Seed, we don't really have such requirements. Our primary objective of getting into, uh, or, you know, making an investment at Seed stage really is, hey, we think this is gonna be a really strong company and we want to be the one who has the chance to get a first shot at investing at Series A. I mean, I think, you know, one of the big reasons that the seed rounds are getting bloated is also because there is so much competition now at Series A for the really good deals is yeah. people want to get started with a partnership with the company earlier and earlier. But my question actually is from the entrepreneur's perspective. If an entrepreneur takes $6.5 million in, in seed, how much ownership does he have left in the company? Yeah, so you know what? Entrepreneurs have to be careful about making sure that they don't, you know, they manage the valuation from that perspective. It isn't really a good idea to give out, give up so much of the company that, you know what, it actually will make even raise the next round really difficult because if the entrepreneurs don't really have enough skin in the game, believe me, the VCs also don't really want to invest in the next round. So if you're taking in so much money early on, you better have an idea which will lead to higher caps, higher valuation, so that money doesn't seem to just, you know, doesn't lead to really giving up ownership completely. Yeah, I, I'm not at all a fan of this kind of bloated seed rounds, uh, and and that's totally not what we practice in the one million by one million philosophy and methodology. We try to, you know, advise our entrepreneurs to take small amounts of money and build more in a capital efficient way, and paying attention to their own ownership because, you know, the other side of the, this coin, even though everybody is chasing unicorns. The other side of the coin is the vast majority of exits happen at the sub-$50 million range. So if you raise $20 million, you don't really make money off a $50 million exit. So you've got, you've got to kind of 
manage all that in the early stages. If you've reached escape velocity, if you've reached inflection point already, then you have more uh, freedom, you know, more degrees of freedom to take more money and, and, and still be okay. But if you start taking lots of money without reaching any of those milestones, that doesn't necessarily always turn out well. It's just, it could be you work for seven, eight years and, and make no money as an entrepreneur, create no wealth at all, no personal wealth at all. That's wise advice, Shamana. You know, uh, it is extremely important to sort of figure out where do you expect this company to be when it grows up, as in, you know, do you expect the exit? What kind of exit do you expect for the company? If it's an idea you think that it will get to, uh, you know, 100 million exit, you're absolutely right. Staying lean, taking in small amount of money is absolutely the right way to move forward. But if you believe it's going to be, it's a large market, it's going to be a big company. Velocity is important at that point. And so you, at that point, you can think about raising bigger rounds. It, it, you're basically calling the traditional Series A, now you're calling it a seed. So the valuations also have increased, you know, appropriately gone up for those kinds of companies. But, but it's important not to just ape, you know, hey, this company raised such a big round, and so I need to go raise one. That's not really the right thought process. The right thought process is how big do you expect the company to be, and so raise the money according to that so that you do make good profits at the end. So, Preeti, one observation, I'm sure you uh, would resonate with this, is all entrepreneurs think that their companies are going to be billion-dollar companies. And, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's kind of the entrepreneur mindset. But uh, one of the things we do extensively in the 1 million by 1 million methodology is create really deep bottom-up TAM models and really deep positioning, deep segmentation to really understand what is the TAM and, and how big a company can you build. And, and very often when we go through that exercise uh, using our tools, we come up with numbers that are not as large. So. You know, if you don't go through that exercise, let's say you don't have the rigor to go through that exercise and, and you just, and, and there are lots of investors out there right now who don't have necessarily that kind of rigor. So, so between an entrepreneur who doesn't have the rigor and VCs who don't have the rigor, you could end up with a lot of money up front without the market going forward. You kind of think, in you know, 30,000 foot, foot terms and you can think that, yes, I'm going to build a humongous company. So you have you know, this kind of artificial conviction with no real validation. That creates a lot of carcasses all over the place. Absolutely. You know, and by the way, even if you're going after large markets, the idea always is you stay really lean, burn as low a cash as possible until you hit project market, a product market fit. Until exactly. product market fit, staying lean is extremely important. Once you have the product market fit, then you can say, okay, I'm going to go pour in money as the gasoline and get this going in a big way. Yeah, and often product market fit determines uh, and, and shows you what is going to be the size of the market. Product market fit tells you what, what your positioning needs to be, what is the segment that is going to adapt your product with velocity, and that may not be this, you know, billion dollar, five billion dollar market, that may be a 500 million, 700 million dollar market, or even smaller, in which case you have to accordingly 
tailor your strategy, your funding strategy, and all that. But this, what we're discussing is very poorly understood and very poorly executed in the industry. Absolutely. All right, Priti, that was a very good conversation. Um, I believe that you're staying a little bit for the uh, entrepreneur pitches. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here for a little.